Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the LifePoint Christian Church Podcast. Let's get started. Have you ever said the wrong thing at the wrong time? No, not me, never, right? Uh, There was this young guy working at a boutique grocery store, and uh, this uh, older lady came up to him and said, "Uh, young man, um, I don't want to buy a whole head of lettuce. I'd like to buy a half head of lettuce. Can can I do that? He just kind of looked at her like, what? And But, you know, this type of grocery store it was. He said, let me check with my manager. So he proceeds to walk back to go see his manager um, to ask him about it. And he didn't realize she was following him. And so he says to the manager, he says, hey, there's some old bag out there who wants a half a head of lettuce. And he turned around and realized she was standing there and said, and this fine lady would like the other half. <laughs> you know, our mouths, have you figured it out by now? They can get us in a lot of trouble, can't they? And today what James wants to do is he wants to help us, uh, especially those of us who are Christ followers, but this is a message can be practical and relevant for everybody, even if you're still checking Jesus out. But he wants to help us have our uh, speech, the things we say, line up with the character of God, with the character of the Lord that we serve and follow. And so to set this whole conversation up, we're going to be in James chapter 3, in James chapter 3, and James is going to start off by saying this. He says, In verse 2, he says, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to control, keep their whole body in check. Now, first of all, I want to point out a couple words. First of all is the word stumble, or some translations say make many mistakes. That word, we all stumble, we all make many mistakes. It literally means to be tripped up, to lose our footing. James is saying, man, we all get tripped up in what we say. We say things that, you know, we wish we could take back. We wish we hadn't said. We wish we hadn't stuck our foot in our mouth, which reminds me of the guy who was in a life group and they were having, they were talking about marriage and the challenges of marriage. And and this life group leader says to him, uh, based on everything the lady was saying, his wife was saying, and just kind of knowing the relationship, he was like, hey, I just want to get candid with you. Uh, And I'm curious because he felt like they could do that in his group. So he asked the guy, do you ever feel frustrated? Are you frustrated that your wife always gets the last word? And the man said, no, I'm just relieved when she finally gets to it. (laughs) And the rest of the night didn't go well. We've all said the wrong things at the wrong time. You've You've said things that you wish you hadn't said. You've said some things that were awkward that were embarrassing. You've said some things that are hurtful, and so have I. And James says, but if you can control your mouth, if you can control what you say, he says, then you're perfect, to which you're like, well, and then I'm out. So who cares about this verse? No, 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 no. You have to understand what the word perfect means. The word perfect in the Greek, the original language, literally means mature or healthy. It's the same word James used in James chapter 1, verse 4, when he said, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature. There's the same word that we, we translate perfect in this verse. Mature and complete, not lacking in anything. A mature, healthy Jesus follower is somebody who can exercise control over their words, over their speech. 
James reveals to us the path for that to happen. That's what we'll be talking about. But before he does that, he wants you and I to make sure we grasp the profound impact, the profound significance our words have on our lives and on the lives of others. And so James is going to start off by saying our words, our tongue, our speech has the power to literally direct our life. Let's pick this up. And he's going to give us a series of illustrations. James chapter 3, verse 3 says, When we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. And some translations say you can make a large horse go wherever you want it to go. Our words, our tongue has the power to direct our life. And he illustrates, he says, I want you to imagine here, you have this little 100-pound jockey. And he can control and direct a 1,200-pound thoroughbred with just a little piece of metal placed strategically over a horse's tongue. In the same way, your tongue and my tongue controls the direction of our life. You said yes to a job, and that directed your life. What you say can also cause you to lose a job, and maybe that's happened to you. What you say, your speech, can help you develop a friendship. And what you say can cause you to lose a friendship. You say yes to marriage, and it sets your course. You say yes to divorce, and it sets your course. What you say directs your life. And James continues to illustrate this, and he goes on in verse 4, and he says, or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. The world's largest ship ever built was the MV Mont. Had a lot of different names, the Knock Nevis, the Seawise Giant, and a few other names. It was 1,504 feet long, which is 400 feet longer than our aircraft carriers. It was huge. It was also the heaviest ship ever built, fully loaded. It weighed 657,000 tons. And yet, its little small rudder literally directed that huge super tanker, that super tanker wherever the captain wanted the ship to go. James says, your tongue is a lot like that. It is like that. It's a relatively small part of our body, but it's the rudder of our life. It determines the whole entire course of our life. I want you to think about how your words have directed the course of your life or how somebody's words to you have directed your life. Somebody said, I love you. I'm proud of you. You can do it. We want you here at this company. Or, man, you're not measuring up. You're not cutting it. You're not very good. We're going in a different direction. I want to break up with you. Whatever the case may be, your best relationships have come as a result of your words. Your most estranged relationships became that way through words. It was the six words of a young person who sought to be part of a Trappist monastery that directed the future of his life. For three years, he came to this Trappist monastery where he wanted to join, and so uh, for three years, he was on probation. 
And he, during those three years, wasn't allowed to say a single word, except at the end of every year, he could come in before the abbot and he could say two words. So at the end of the first year, he came into the abbot and the abbot said, okay, you've had the first year, you've done well, and uh, what are your two words? And he says, bed hard. Goes on for the rest of the year, comes back in after the second year. He comes in and he says, food cold. He comes in after the third year, says to the abbot, I quit. To which the abbot said to him, well, that's good because all you ever do is complain, right? <laughs> James says, that's our tongue, our words, our, our speech. It has the power to direct our life. And that changed that course of that monk, future monk's life. Our wor words have the power to direct our life but they also have the power to destroy. They have the power to destroy what you and I have. Listen to how James puts it. James chapter three, verse five, he says, consider what a great forest is set on fire by what? A small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the entire body. It was on August 8th at 6.30 a.m. this year, a downed power line uh, um, that had fallen down in the city of Lahaina in the, um, the island of Maui caused a spark to go into the dry brush. That little spark um, slowly lit the brush around there. Three hours later, the authorities said that the small brush fire was 100% contained. I'm sure you all know the story. That turned out not to be true, right? Later that afternoon, the world witnessed horrifying video of people literally jumping out of their cars, jumping off of First Street or Front Street, jumping into the ocean to the escape the flames of this giant inferno. It was the dead, one of the deadliest fires in U.S. history, and it all came from that one little spark. The tongue is like that, James says. You can make one statement one comment, one little spark, and then things can get out of control and spiral out of control. And your words have the power to destroy everything you have. I wonder how many people, because of a careless word, have destroyed their marriage or have destroyed their career or their reputation or the reputation of another. I wonder how many people because of their words have literally destroyed churches or friendships. I wonder how many of you suffer trauma to this very day. Perhaps some of you suffer from low self-esteem all because of the words that were spoken to you. I told you so man, you can't do anything right. You're always in a bad mood. You're just like your mother. If you don't like it, then you just leave. All you ever do is think about yourself. You don't think of anybody else. All you ever do is complain. You know what? You get what you deserve. Man, you're such a baby. Can't you wise up? Can't you be more responsible? You know, you deserve a taste of your own medicine. What were you thinking? Man, you're impossible. I don't know why I even bother to put up with you. 
you will never succeed. You know what James says? Verse 6, these words set the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. Some of you hear those words and they're painful because you've experienced those. And you know how that's affected the whole course of your life. Some of you have heard those words and realized you've said those to somebody else. Setting your life and their life on a course, the whole course. Your words create a chain reaction. You say something and it's a spark that can have devastating consequences that are beyond your control. It was just a few statements from, from Adolf Hitler and the German press about the Poles or the Polish and the Poles performing ethnic cleansing on the Germans who lived in Poland. And those few statements set off a chain reaction, a chain of events that led to World War II. What they said, by the way, wasn't true, but that set off a chain reaction. There were other factors involved, but it was a few words that really instigated World War II. James says, you've got to learn, I've got to learn to manage our mouths. Not only because our words can direct our life, but also they can destroy our life. Like a tiny spark, words are like a tiny spark that can turn into a wildfire, destroying what we have, especially what matters most to us. Proverbs 31 says, if you want to stay out of trouble, be careful with what you say. Be careful what you say. Our tongue, it has tremendous power and it can destroy. But James also says our, our, our tongue, our speech, our words, there's a strange contradiction going on with us. He says in verse nine, he says, sometimes our tongue praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing comes pouring out of the same mouth. And James says, surely my brothers and sisters, this is not right. This should not be. One minute we're praising God. The next minute we're walking out those doors and we're cursing other people. The word cursing isn't even just mean profanity. It also means all kinds of ways in which we put down others. James says, you and I, that shouldn't be in our lives. We shouldn't be putting down others. That's not right, James says. Why? Because other people are made in the image of God just like you are. James says, don't put down others. That's not right. It should not be, he said. Your tongue, your words have the power to direct your life. They have the power to destroy what you have, but ultimately, and this is where James gets really real with us, our tongue, our words, our speech has the power to display our heart. Your words are the single best indicator of what's going on on the inside of your heart, who you truly are. Notice how James puts it in James chapter 3, verse 11. He says, he asks these questions. He says, does a spring of water bubble out of both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No, of course not. And you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. What we say eventually reveals what's going on on the inside. Yeah, but... I don't know. I don't know what got into me when I said that. It wasn't like me to say that. I didn't mean what I said. And James says, no, it's just like you. It's just like you. 
What you didn't mean is for your filter to have missed it. (laughs) What was in your heart passed through the filter. Jesus said in Matthew 12, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. He said what's on the inside, eventually, somehow, some way, that is going to come out. That's going to eventually reveal your true character. And perhaps one of the more discouraging verses in the Bible is what the prophet uh, Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 17. He said, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things, and it's desperately wicked, or as Jesus said in Matthew 15, for out of your heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. You and I are constantly told by culture to what? Follow your Follow your heart. Man, according to God's word, that's the last thing you want to follow, right? I mean, that's the last thing you want to follow. Your heart, my heart, it's a mess. And the worst things that have ever slipped out of our mouth is just, the Bible is saying, just a fraction of that depravity that's in our heart. The problem with our mouth and what we say is far more serious than we think. You and I don't just have a mouth problem. We have a heart problem. What's the solution? Well, it's kind of obvious. Get a new heart, right? I mean, you need a heart transplant. This thing's wicked. We need a new heart. Ezekiel 18, 31 says, rid yourself of all the offenses you've committed and get a new heart and a new spirit. Years ago, um, I had this black stuff that was on my windows, like uh, on the walls of my, around a few of my windows. And so we had a company come out to inspect it, and surprise, surprise, it was, it was mold, yeah. And they said, we're going to need to spend these thousands of dollars uh, that only they can do to treat the situation. And and I heard all that, and I said, uh, no, thank you. And then as I often say about things that seem to get me in trouble, I said, how hard can it be? (laughs) So I went down to Home Depot, bought some paint, painted over it, all gone, problem solved. (laughs) If you know anything about mold, problem not solved. I painted the outside, but the poison was still on the inside. And it eventually came back up to the surface, so I painted it again and solved the problem again. (laughs) Not really, because what was on the inside eventually came to the outside. I continued this charade for quite a while until I finally realized, hey, you need a new plan. The old had to be replaced. I needed something new. And so once I got the new, once I replaced the old with the new, My problem was solved. You and I, we can try to put better filters on ourselves on what we say. We can paint over the poison, but the poison's still there inside, in our heart. And eventually, that's coming out. 
And that's coming to the surface. Out of the overflow of your heart, you and I, we speak. So we need a new heart. We need a new spirit, as Ezekiel says. And of course, we know we're in church. There's only one way for that to happen. That's for the Lord Jesus to come into our life and give us a new heart and give us a new spirit. He's the only one who can make us new. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5 says this. It says, anyone who belongs to Christ is a new person. Everybody say new. The old life is gone, the new, everybody say new, the new life has begun. That's our only chance. Because when you and I are new and we have a new heart and a new life, we have the spirit of God living in us, when we have the heart of God, when we have a new life, when we have God's power and God's strength, then we can begin to go down this process of mature, maturing in Christ by what we say. And where do you start with that? If you have a new heart and if you are in Christ, he with his spirit, his power, his strength in you, then you begin to ask God for his help each and every day. I love what Psalm 141 said. David asked for God's help. He said this. He said to God, he said, God, set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the doors of my lips. Do not let my heart be drawn to what is evil. Do you notice how David understood that his heart and his mouth were connected? David knew where he needed to turn. He needed to turn to the Lord. He needed to turn to God to lead him and guide him and guard him. So like David, let's ask for God's help. Let's turn to him. He's the one who gives us the strength. He's the one who gives us a new heart. And practically speaking, the best way that God helps us is through his word. I want you to think about this. If you are into God's word regularly, I mean, I'm talking like you read it constantly. You read it every day. If you fill your mind and your heart with the heart of God, then what's going to come out of your mouth? The word of God. God's thoughts, God's ideas, God's word will come out of your heart. It's like the old saying, right? Garbage in, garbage out. So reverse that. What goes into your heart and mind, that's going to come out of your mouth. So when you and I fill our mind and our heart with the word of God, then God's word will begin to come out of our hearts, will come out of our mouth. When you have the heart of God in you, when you have his word in you, when you're asking for his help, then you will be better equipped to think before you speak. You see, God's the best filter for us. There's no other legitimate filter. But with God on your side, with God's spirit in you, then you're better equipped to think before you speak. We looked at this verse earlier this year, earlier this fall in James chapter 1, verse 19, it says, every one of us should be quick to listen, meaning we think before we speak, which is why James then says to be slow to speak and slow to become angry. And your child or children will remember for a lifetime the harsh words you spoke to them in a moment of anger. Some of you are a product of that and your life suffers because of what was said to you in a moment of anger. They will remember that for a lifetime. Your spouse will remember as well. So will your boss, your employee, your employer, your friend, your coworker. Too often we're too quick to speak. So with God's strength and God's help, having his spirit in us, let's be quick to listen. Let's think before we speak, before we vent our anger. 
be slow. Before we vent our anger at someone in an email, think to yourself, would this be better if I waited on this, if I let myself cool down before I send this email? It reminds me, uh, um, of there's a couple books, great books about Abraham Lincoln um, that I've read. I'd encourage you to read them at some point, Team of Rivals and Lincoln on Leadership. And both these books, phenomenal books, they talk about how Abraham Lincoln, he, uh, he gathered around him. His cabinet was, uh, was full of, it was a team of rivals. And so he had all these people who didn't, weren't on his side at all. But he thought that was going to be best for the country, going through and navigating what the country was going through at the time. And he would get so upset and so furious and so angry at them. And so what would he do? When he was upset and he was angry at them, he would go into his office. He'd pull out a piece of paper. He'd pull out a pen. And he'd begin to write a note to them and give them a piece of his mind. And he'd lay it out. He'd just pour it all onto that paper. And then he took that paper and he put it back in his drawer. And he waited a few days until his emotions cooled down. As I've said many times before, when your emotions are high, your wisdom is what? Low. And so he waited until he chilled out a little bit. Later on, he pulled out that note, that letter out of the drawer. And now he was able to think more rationally and logically. And after he cooled, he reread the letter. And inevitably, he'd change it or not send it at all. Lincoln said, he said, he said, I thank God that I never sent most of those letters because our, our country and my presidency would have been destroyed had I sent those letters. Think before you speak because once you lash out in anger and criticize and say something to someone, you can't get that back. Also, let's be quick to say, I'm sorry. In fact, I want us all to say I'm sorry together right now, okay? We're going to say it together. One, two, three. I'm sorry. Now, the reality is for some of you, that's the first time you've said that in a long, long time. A long time. You haven't said it, but I don't want you to underestimate the power of those two words, the power to heal. They're more healing than you can possibly imagine. And if you can't remember the last time you apologized to someone close to you, maybe a spouse or a, or a child or a friend or whatever the case may be, if you can't remember, then perhaps you're not really in touch with the sin and the depravity that is inside your heart that God's trying to change. Because if you and I believe and trust what James is saying, that our tongues, man, you can't even tame them, that they're connected to our depravity, somebody who understands that, you would expect them to at least have part of their life the vocabulary of, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Because we're going to say things. Remember he said, we all stumble in many ways. Don't underestimate the healing power of I'm sorry. Along with saying, I'm sorry, for some of us, you can, and for all of us, really, you can and may need to say, will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? You need to ask somebody for forgiveness. And maybe that's going to the kids and saying, listen, I've been inconsistent with the way I've talked to you. And sometimes I'm loving, but I recognize sometimes I'm harsh. Will you please forgive me? Will you forgive me? Maybe you need to apologize to a spouse 
Say, listen, I, I want to ask for your forgiveness because I haven't been loving towards you in my speech and I tend to be apathetic or cold or indifferent and maybe I'm talking too, I've, I've been talking too harshly. I've ignored you. I've been sarcastic towards you and I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Maybe you need to go to your boss and say, I tried to act like I knew it all and I knew what I was doing, but I really messed things up with what I did and what I said. And so I apologize for what I said and what I did and I ask for your forgiveness and how that hurt you and hurt our company. Ask for forgiveness. Finally, when you have the heart of God in you, when you're in the word of God, when you're asking for his help, you will be better equipped to sow life-giving words into people's lives. Our words have the power to destroy, but man, they have the power to heal and bring life as well. James says, in James chapter three, verse 18, he says, peacemakers who sow in peace, they reap a harvest of righteousness. James says to you and I, to sow, you have a new heart in God. You're in his word. You're having the, the God's heart flow out of your heart through what you say. And so you can be, you are equipped to sow words of peace, to sow life-giving words. Again, words can destroy, but they can also heal. Words can motivate. Words can inspire. Words can lift somebody up. And so here's what I want to do. I want to challenge you this week that you would make a commitment to God, to God and yourself, and you would say, listen, every single day this week, every single day, I am making a commitment to sow words of peace, to speak words of life and love and encouragement and blessing into somebody's life. At least one person, every single day, I will sow words of life into them, to a spouse, to a parent, to a child, to a friend, to that person at the grocery store you always see, to someone you aren't getting along with. Point out somebody's strength. Tell them how incredible they are, how awesome they are, how special they are. Point out something that you appreciate in them and you appreciate about them. Inspire them, lift them up, motivate them in a positive way. Bless them, bless this community of believers and bless our community outside these walls. Let's be people who sow words of peace. And then we get to sit back and watch what God will do as we then reap a harvest of righteousness. So what do you say? Would you be willing to commit every single this day this week to sow words of peace and life and inspiration into somebody else's life? make a difference with your words. They can destroy, but man, they can build up, they can lift up, and they can inspire, and they can change people's lives for the better. Some of you, you haven't been able to speak peace because you haven't been at peace. The reality is you just haven't been right with God, and you've known it. Your heart has been far from God, but I want you to know God has an unconditional love for you, that he loves you so much that even though your heart's been far from him, he said, I want to come close to you. And he demonstrated that. How did he do it? He did that by sending his son, Jesus Christ, 
to die on a cross for our sins, for our wicked hearts. And he died for that sin so that we can come into a relationship with our heavenly father. And so some of you, you know, your heart hasn't been right. You've been far from God. And God's been telling you over and over and over. You've been coming to church. You've been hearing God's word. And you know, God loves you. He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to come into your life. He wants to give you a new heart, to give you a new spirit, to give you new life. Man, if you're here this morning and you're saying, that's me, that's what I need. I need a new heart. I need God's spirit in me. I want eternal life. I want to be forgiven of my sins. I want to go God's way, not my way. If that's you, I want to invite you pray with me, to have God come into your heart, to have Jesus come into your heart, to save you, to change you, to transform you. And you can join the rest of us and be part of the family of God. Let's pray. We hope you enjoyed today's message. You can learn more about us by visiting us online at lifepoint.org. If you are ever in the Sacramento area, we would love to see you in person. Events and service times can be found on our website. Thank you for listening, and we hope you join us for our next episode.